Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas, Severn Run! How you, you guys look good tonight. You got all dressed up. Welcome. We are so glad to be able to have you guys here. If you're, uh, I mean, I definitely see a couple of new faces uh, in the audience today. Uh, if you're a Severn runner and you brought friends or family, like raise your hand for me. I, I just want to see, check it out. Like, look at that. That's awesome. That is awesome. Hey, listen, that means we've got lots of guests in here tonight, folks. We love our guests, don't we, Severn runners? <laughs> So again, thank you all for being with us. We hope that you enjoy this time with us. Thank you for celebrating Christmas with us. Again, we hope that you enjoy the time. Um, If you do, do us a favor. Go out of here. Tell everybody. Come back next week. If you don't enjoy it, just don't tell anybody. Uh, Okay, can we we make that deal? Are we good? Uh, My name is John Smith. It's true. My parents did that to me. And... uh, and uh, I get to be the executive pastor here at the Church of Severn Run. It was just actually, it was a few days, it was quite a few years ago now, but it was just a few days after Christmas, I had the opportunity to hop on a plane, go all the way across the Atlantic, go all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, and land in destination Israel. And I got to tell you, I was really, really excited about this trip because, see, I grew up in a pastor's home, so I know all the, I know like all the Bible stories, and, and this was going to be my opportunity to kind of see where it all went down. In fact, by being able to go there, I thought, man, I'm going to actually get to see where the entire like Christmas story took place, or at least that's what I thought. Here's the thing. Modern Israel is absolutely amazing. I mean, it is this mix of ancient mystery along with a lot of all of the modern conveniences that you could possibly imagine, and you've got to be constantly paying attention with all of your five senses, but you will miss it if you try to catch Israel with just your five senses. You've got to go a little bit deeper. You've got to pay closer attention to what's going on, and you have to see beyond what it is that you can actually see. Because what you see may not be the whole story. And it turns out that um, it, it kind of messed up what I thought about Christmas. It all happened when we went to the Wailing Wall, which is in Jerusalem. And our guide was kind of explaining to his best understanding the importance of the tradition of the Wailing Wall um, in the Jewish religion. And we were standing there and he looked out over this, this long, this, this cliff, basically. It was about 20 or 30 foot down there. And when we looked back over this cliff, there was all of these, there was this old broken up road that was right in front of the Wailing Wall. It was an ancient road. The, the stones were kind of scattered about everywhere. And he looked at us and he said, it's probably, that was the road that was probably here 2,000 years ago, that was probably the road that Jesus himself walked on. I was standing up there. I was like, what? You mean I'm not standing where Jesus stood? You mean he was somewhere way down there? I mean, what is this whole thing? And then he went on to explain that pretty much everything that we were going to see, almost every site that we were going to go to, guess what? Where it really happened 20 to 30 feet below us. I was like, I took this entire trip to see where Jesus walked. 
And I'm not going like, to get to see any of it because it turns out that that entire story is buried down there somewhere. And I got to think that after 2,000 years of history since the story actually transpired, that maybe, just maybe, Christmas is similar. Maybe there's the possibility that, that Christmas has kind of gotten buried. I don't want to like burst your Christmas bubble on Christmas Eve. That would just be mean, wouldn't it? But maybe the story of, of, of Christmas has gotten buried under there. Maybe it's gotten buried underneath all of the lights that you had to take out of the box this year that some people did not do a very good job the way I asked them to do of putting the lights back in the box. So I had to untangle all of the lights. Maybe Christmas got buried under that. Maybe Christmas got buried under, after I got all the untangled lights out, there were broken bulbs, which caused me to cut my hand. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm going to let that one go. Here, maybe Christmas got buried under that. Maybe Christmas is getting buried under a lot of Rudolph wrapping paper and talking toys and that big heaping helping of credit card debt. That you're going to get to enjoy come January. Maybe it's buried under traditions and office parties. And the 23rd airing of the Christmas story on TBS. Uh, and one too many quotes from Will Ferrell and, 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 from the, and from Elf. But you have to admit, there's really no such thing as too many quotes from Elf though, right? Yeah, I got some Elf fans up in here, huh? Yeah, thank you. There's always one or two of us in every crowd. Uh, you know, but what if it's buried under all that? What if the Christmas story has even gotten buried under things like Silent Night and manger scenes and Christmas Eve services? What if the story of Christmas has been buried under the birth of a baby? I just want to formulate the question and make you think about it for just a second here tonight. What if there is more to the whole thing? than just the birth of a baby. Many of us are probably even feeling similar about our lives as, as we look at Christmas, is that we, if we take the time to sit still and to contemplate long enough, we could probably think back a long time ago to a galaxy far, far away. Has anybody seen it yet? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so you're, you're good. But I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about your childhood. You remember a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when you were a kid? Maybe, maybe everything's gotten buried since then because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what your childhood was like. I hope it was a great childhood, but maybe it wasn't that stellar. Maybe it was pretty rough. But somewhere there, somewhere in childhood, there was probably some hope along the way. There was some, probably some times in which kind of faith took hold and you kind of looked at yourself and you thought, to yourself about what you wanted to be when you grow up and you had some dreams and you had some goals and you kind of had some vision that, that, that maybe that this isn't all there is. Maybe, just maybe, I've been put here on planet Earth for a real purpose. Maybe I matter. But all too often, life comes along and everything gets buried because then middle school comes, Right? And suddenly being different and unique wasn't quite as cool as it used to be. And so some of who you are starts to get buried as you start to conform just a little bit. And as you start trying to fit in. And then the older that you get, the more that becomes expected of you. 
And before long, you've become buried under titles like college graduate or teacher or executive of such and such or spouse or parent or you've gone against society's expectations of you and maybe you've been buried under other titles like ex-convict or felon, I don't know. Either way, life comes at us and it starts to bury us, doesn't it? And before long, we find ourselves just looking and asking the question of who am I? And why am I here? Is it possible that if we take just a moment to try to unbury Christmas, that we might actually be able to unbury our own souls too? It was ancient Israel. Ancient Israel, that means it was 20 to 30 feet below where my feet have ever had the opportunity to walk. It was ancient Israel, and it, and it was a land that had been filled with a brief history of triumph, as well as agonizing and ongoing suffering. The defeat that they had suffered at the hands of the Roman uh, occupation had caused incredible oppression. It was a land that was devoted to ancient religious tradition. Its tradition believed that there would one day come a chosen one that would deliver them to the glory of a kingdom from days gone by that they had enjoyed. In the meantime... In ancient Israel, people were just living simple lives. They were doing their best to stay unnoticed and untouched by the Roman authority that would gladly, gladly, if any, of, if any of them got out of line, they would be more than happy to beat them back into submission, maybe even crucify them. They did not want to transgress against the Roman political power and military might. Do what you're asked, when you're asked, and everything would be fine. And then meanwhile, just wait. It was in that context of ancient Israel and in keeping with the governing order of that day to participate in a taxation census that had sent a young pregnant couple on a long journey down to Bethlehem. Nothing about this pregnancy had been normal. First of all, dad wasn't really even dad. Sure, he'd been willing to step up to the plate to live up to the responsibilities that he had for this child, but this child had come to be under very different circumstances. This child had actually come to be under heavenly circumstances. He was announced, his birth was announced via angels. I've asked my mom, Mom, no angels, Mom? She has assured me that what she saw were not angels. He was announced under angels. And everything had been different. Nothing about the pregnancy had been normal. So why in the world would the birth be normal? When they arrived in Bethlehem, what they discovered is that all of the hotel rooms had been booked up for the night. As a result, they were able to find a barn, one of those things now that we just call a manger. Now, it's so romantic to think about Jesus in a manger right? In fact, we will get in our cars and we will line up and we will sit in a line for hours to see a live nativity scene. But can I assure you of something? And ladies, you could probably give a big amen to this. I doubt that Mary was really excited about the accommodations of the delivery room on that particular evening. Can you imagine? Nothing of this was going to be normal. But on that night, a baby was born. But part of the Christmas story has been buried. 
Because on that night, it wasn't just another baby. On that night, a baby had entered our time and space that had brought a kingdom. Something that we weren't exactly ready for. In fact, on that particular evening, it was only a few kind of well-studied wise men, and, and it wasn't even that evening. They'd show up a few years later. And a few humble shepherds that even knew that anything was happening. There wasn't any celebration. There wasn't any services. There wasn't anything like that. The kingdom of heaven had just entered our time and space. And for the first time, planet earth was about to be dramatically offered a chance to change. A chance to walk away from the fear that can so often rule our lives. An opportunity to be able to walk toward love and joy and peace. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, it says this, The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. They didn't know. And they wouldn't be able to recognize him for a while because everybody was buried They were buried under politics and Roman rule. They were buried under their religious responsibilities. They were buried under the financial burden of trying to keep fish and bread on the table. They were buried under their own stuff, just like like we often find ourselves today. Just like I would imagine that many of us walked in here tonight. In the midst of all of this celebration, we just feel like we're buried and we can hardly breathe. But time simply just marched on with a little fanfare. The little baby grew up. And at 12 years old, he was with his parents in Jerusalem, partaking in what was his religious tradition's most important festival, most important time called the Passover. In Luke chapter 2, verses 43 through 44 and 46 through 47, it says, After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But 12-year-old Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. There's a lot of you that should take some serious comfort in this moment. If you ever got like lost in that aisle in Walmart and it took hours before your parents found you, you are not alone. Jesus knows your pain. He's been there. He's felt that. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were amazed, no doubt, because all they saw through their eyes was just a little boy. What they didn't recognize is that a kingdom... The kingdom was beginning to unveil itself right before their eyes. Time continued to move forward slowly. People continued to work and to play and to eat and to drink and to worry and to laugh and to cry and to wait. And the boy became a man. And then a wedding. Not his wedding, mind you, but when your mom says you've got to go to the wedding, then you have to go to the wedding even if you're Jesus. So he went to the wedding. And at one point in the, in the wedding, the wine supply grew low. And his mom asked him if he could do something about it. 
In John 2, verses 4 through 5, it says, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. Got a little smart with his mom, huh? We'll see how that works out. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. She basically ignored him. She's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Do what he says, guys. Jesus complied with his mother's wishes. He made more wine. He made more wine from water. It was the best wine of the evening. It was so good that the masters of ceremonies was, was greatly surprised. And in John 2, 11, it says this. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. What they had just seen was a kingdom moment. Jesus was beginning to open up the realms of the kingdom and show people who he truly was. His time had come. The kingdom had come. And over the course of the next three years, his, the, the presence of the kingdom would become more and more undeniable. The closest people to Jesus, his disciples and his immediate followers, they were like kids on Christmas morning, waiting, just waiting for this kingdom that they had been told about the, the stories that they had been told that had been passed down from generations to generations about a coming king who would deliver them, who would bring them out from under the snare of imperial tyranny, who would bring them their freedom. They were so buried beneath their traditions, their desire for political freedom, their religious beliefs, and their own desires for independence that they were missing what he said to them in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he said, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through these words, through the, him teaching them how to pray, through these words, Jesus was revealing the point of why he had come to be one of us to begin with. He had come to bring the presence of heaven into our broken, messed up world. And I could probably get all of you to agree that if you've watched the news anytime recently, we kind of live in a broken, messed up world. We need just a little bit of hope, don't we? I think we need a little new way of doing things. And Jesus was praying for that very thing. He was revealing to his followers that this is exactly what he had come to do, that he had come to present a way for love and joy and peace to once again rule in the lives and the hearts of men and women the same way that it had so long ago back in a place called Eden before our own flesh and our egos got in the way. Jesus was well aware of, his, of the fact that his followers were missing the points of his teaching, that they were missing the point of his words. And so he did the next best thing, which was not just talk, Jesus took action. Jesus said, if you're not going to understand it through my words that the kingdom has come, maybe through my deeds you might be able to figure it out. And so his days on earth were not spent preparing to become the king of an earthly kingdom. He could not be found selecting his cabinet members for his future reign. He could not be found picking his military generals for a, for a coming coup d'etat of the Roman government. He never once drafted a constitution or any type of legal governing document. He was, his was a different type of kingdom. 
And that meant that he was going to be a different type of king and he was going to act like a different type of king. His days as a king were spent among the despised and the rejected. The down and outs. The people among every class in society that has felt that is somehow that the current world order had not worked out in their favor. The people who either from physical deformity or disease or race or social standing, having been rejected maybe by their own religion or any of the other myriad of ways that we human beings can come up with to divide ourselves, to isolate ourselves, and to find a way to hate another person, Jesus just said no to all of that. He spent time with the people that felt that that had been done to them. The, this is who he wanted to be with. And what did he want to do for them? What did he want to do to them? He just wanted to meet their needs. He healed men that couldn't walk and women that couldn't find any other cure, any other way. He repaired fathers' hearts who had lost their children. He answered the deepest philosophical questions with, with childlike simplicity of religious seekers that came at, in the dead of night to find out what he really thought about a subject. He gave sight back to the blind. He walked on water. I tend to think he probably skipped on a few waves myself. I mean, if you could walk on water, why not skip on a few waves, you know? He was even lighthearted enough to bring a dead wedding back to life. In every way that he acted, in everything that Jesus did, he was revealing the kingdom. He was showing us that there was something more that had become available to us. That's what's buried. That's what's buried. Underneath all of the sounds and sights and wrapping paper and lights. The king of the universe has brought to earth his heavenly kingdom. He's inviting you this Christmas, right now, to begin to recognize that his kingdom is unfolding all around you. It's not something that he wants you to miss. But all too often we will miss it because we are caught up in all of the trivial things of life. So here becomes the question for us. How do we get out of the rubble? How do we unbury ourselves from all of this mess that we currently find ourselves in? How can we become active participants and citizens of this heavenly kingdom? Well, here's the thing. It starts by simply changing your mind. Did you hear me? If you want to be an active participant in the kingdom, it starts by simply changing your mind. The scripture refers to this, to this as repent. To turn around. To go a new direction. To decide that it's time to do things a new way. Maybe all the years leading up to 2019 haven't exactly built all of the uh, love, joy, and peace in your life. Maybe that's not what you're emotionally experiencing, and you're just tired of it. And it could be because the way that you've been doing life has led you to that. There's a different way. It's called repent. Change your mind. 
make a decision. This way that I've been following, my way is no longer working for me. How do I know? My name is John Smith, and I'm an alcoholic. I know what it means to be walking down the wrong path, to be headed the wrong direction. And you know how you get off of that path? You repent. You turn around and you say, you know, King Jesus, I'd like to be a part of your kingdom. I don't really want to do it my way anymore. My way is not working out. I, I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to go your way. I want a brand new life. That's the first step. That's a step that you don't have to wait for. That's a step that you don't have to unwrap the gift of tomorrow morning. That's something you can do right now. Look and say, King Jesus, I'm ready to go a different direction. My way is not working. And then you know what you do? You wake up tomorrow morning like a transformed Scrooge. And you begin to figure out and learn how to live as a kingdom citizen. What does a kingdom citizen look like? How does a kingdom citizen live? A kingdom citizen is constantly sharing the love of the kingdom. That's what a kingdom citizen is all about. I'm happy to say that you don't have to learn how to be a kingdom citizen alone. That's why we're here. That's what the church is. You know what the church is? The church is nothing more than a gathering of people who have decided to be kingdom citizens and figure out how to live out the love of the kingdom in this crazy world. That's all this is. It's not more complicated than that. And so if you want to be a kingdom citizen, you want a brand new life, you don't have to do it alone. That's why we're here. We're all in this together trying to figure it out. Trying to share this transforming love of God to the world around us. Together we're just all doing the best that we can possibly be. To be a light in a world that is filled with darkness. Because that's what kingdom is. Kingdom is light in a world that is filled with darkness. In fact, here's what Jesus said about it. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Anybody that's decided to walk into the kingdom and be a citizen, to repent, to not do it their way anymore, to do it the kingdom way, Jesus said, You're the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He said more than that, too. I'm just waiting to be able to read exactly what he says. <laughs> I, 
want to get the quote right. It's Jesus, folks. <laughs> he said, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. So you know what the invitation is tonight? The invitation is an invitation to Jesus' love. It's an invitation to step inside the kingdom. And then it's an invitation to get up tomorrow morning and to start to spread this thing. So here's the invitation. Jesus loves you. And he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you. And he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you. And he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you, and he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you, and he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you and he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you and he invites you into his kingdom. Jesus loves you. Some of you need to hear that tonight. Jesus loves you. And he invites you into his kingdom. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to live lonely in this dark world. Thank you that on a night long ago, you chose to break through the dimensions of time and space. You chose to be a baby. You chose to be a baby that brought a kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us this opportunity to come out of all that rubble that life has thrown on top of us. And to be reminded of what this thing is really all about. That you love us and that you have invited us into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, Feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.